0: This episode of Story Institute's Rambling Verser is brought to you by Timeless Tales. We bring you travel and fun, creating new stories in your life. Enhance your stories now. Well, hello there, and welcome to Story Institute's Rambling Verser podcast episode 10. Thank you for joining us for another week. We apologize for the delay in getting this out. Uh, We had other things that came up and and many other stories to tell. Our poetry contest has just ended, and our short story contest is just beginning to, to wind down. So we invite you to sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. This week's thought is brought to you by William James. Human beings, by challenging the inner attitudes of their minds, can change the outer aspects of their lives. As you listen to the rest of this podcast, whether it's our poem of the day, our short story of poetry topics, or the interview with our featured author, Bob McDonald, author of Flagrant Fall, think about how you influence the changes in your life, and others as well. Now here's Terry with the poem of the week. Terry? Work Without Hope
1: by Samuel Taylor Coleridge All nature seems at work, slugs leave their lair, the bees are stirring, birds are on the wing and winter slumbering in the open air, wears on his smiling face a dream of spring. And I the while the sole unbusy thing, nor honey make, nor pair, nor build, nor sing, yet well I ken the banks where amaranths blow, have traced the fount whence streams of nectar flow. Bloom, O ye amaranths, bloom for whom ye may, for me ye bloom not, glide rich streams away. With lips unbrightened, wreathless brow I stroll, and would you learn the spells that drowse my soul? Work without hope draws nectar in a sieve, and hope without an object cannot leave.
0: With so much going on in the economy these days and around the world, sometimes we may think that our, our work has little hope, whether we're a writer or a business professional. But really, when we think about it, we control that destiny. And we control what we do with each new topic that comes before us. Things that we can control are the seasons, the weather, um, whether or not our car decides to die in the middle of a rainstorm. Things that are outside of our span of control. So think about from where you draw your nectar. Think about where you find your inspiration. And seek it out. Don't just wait for it to come to you. Try to find it. Try to find a way to make it a part of your life so that you look at the changes and you look for ways to cast your spells within your writing craft onto others so that people want to read your work, want to to, to delve a little bit more into it, but also become a part of your writing. And now without further ado, here's our interview with Bob. We're here with Bob McDonald, author of *Flagrant Fall* and owner of TOG Solutions. Bob is joining us today and is going to talk about his book and about his writing passions. Welcome, Bob. So
2: oh, thanks for having me, John. Appreciate it.
0: So tell us a little bit more about your book *Flagrant Fall*.
2: Well, *Flagrant Fall* is um, a part of the is actually the. This story in the as yet not incomplete uh, stories from the Forester series, which is a group which is based on uh, students at the fictional Forest State University who are working at the the student newspaper, the Forester. In this particular book, we're uh, focusing on uh, the newly minted uh, sports editor, Davis Brown, who is coming into a situation where he is. Um, coming into a uh, basketball season um, this is a uh, basketball season during a time where he is dealing with not only outside pressures he's uh, he's coming into a season where the coach is under turmoil um, he's under fire by a particular per, uh, by a particular person Reggie McCaffrey who used to work at the Forester and who also used to be romantically involved with Davis's boss uh, Brenda Alvarez and He's also dealing with other pressures at home he's, um his uncle phil is has, is recently diagnosed with uh, with uh cancer and he's dealing with that as well so he's he uh, the the main focus of the book is how Davis is dealing with all of this not only this, but he also starts seeing the basketball coach's goddaughter so if that as if there wasn't enough going on in his life, he has that going on too. So that's the basic. The basic focus of the Logan file is, you know, how is how is he coping with all of this? You know, all of this being in the middle of a, you know, being in the middle of a, not only a, you know, a coach's uh, controversy, but also dealing with his personal life and how, how things are, are are just not working out for him.
0: And, and some of this you've pulled from your own personal experience and, and, and characters that, that you actually know. How does that help your writing?
2: It helps a great deal. I will say I have uh, I am thankful to say that uh, I do have no uncles who are who are terminally ill with cancer. So I do. So that's uh, that's always good. That's you know I'm thankful for that. And but um, a lot of the you know the personal stuff on the on the writing background. Like for example, you know when I was uh, when I was at Cleveland State myself, I was a I was a sports editor. So a lot of that I take from uh, a lot of the experiences I take from that. I. I was able to put in the book either through Davis or through Reggie, and um, a lot of those things were, and a lot of the experiences, like the, like uh, Reggie's desire to get rid of the coach. He creates a website to get. He actually creates a website to get rid of the coach, which is something I also did uh, many a few years ago as well. And uh, when I was a, uh, when again, this is something that uh, you know being able to draw from those experiences is good because it gives your because it gives your your writing a personal touch it's you have a connection with the characters and I think it's extremely important in any writing to be able to do that
0: so what what led you to write what what drives you to write yourself
2: well um my background is in writing. Uh, I start, when I was when I first started at Cleveland State, I was a uh, I was covering high school basketball games, uh, and uh, I carried that over into working at the Cleveland State student newspaper, the Cauldron. Being able to you know cover college uh, college sports it, it's a it's you know being able to widen my broaden my horizons and being able to get a chance to write all the time. And there was a stretch in there. There was probably a three-year stretch where I was writing very little to none at all. And I really felt that it was... And, you know, being inspired by the whole, you know, my whole experience with the Cleveland State basketball team being, you know, trying to, with my own efforts, trying to get rid of the coach... It inspired me to you know, fictionalize that, and it just grew from there. Yeah, and it got me back to writing, too, which is something I really enjoyed doing. And you know, for a long time, I, I wasn't doing.
0: Yeah, well, and, and you miss it when it's not there because you know, it's, it's a part of your life. And, and sometimes if, if you don't go back to that, that, that writing strategy that you had before, or even just some of the passion, it's, it's a bigger hole than you realize until it is gone. Uh, so you talked about the focus of, of this book as, as being sports. Uh, do you write anything else, or, or is it really concentrated on sports for most of what you do? I know you have, uh, I know you have other uh, ventures as well as far as TOG Solutions. How, yeah. how much other writing do you do? Yeah. Um,
2: first, let me clarify that Slater and Fowl is not a sports book. <laughs> Is right. and, you know the sports is a background backdrop for it, but you know the the focus and unfortunately that's something I've run across. It's very it's uh, it's something that's kind of been a roadblock for me because you know you see you hear the you know, you hear the you hear, you hear and foul you hear the plot of the book and you think oh sports book uh oh <laughs> that's actually unfortunately that's deterred a few people from actually reading it which is kind of depressing. But what are you going to do? Um, in terms of other writing um i actually ha again have been doing quite a bit of that myself. I actually have worked on uh you know getting getting into high school writing again i've done i a- i've got a friend of mine who works at the uh the uh the sand uh, Sandusky register in Sandusky ohio and um he actually asked me to do a couple of high school basketball games which i haven't done in years so it's it's good to get back into that and then you know on the t o g solutions side i've been able to uh you know Work with a couple of our local, you know, local organization, uh, Cleveland area organizations, um, to write some things. Um, I'm a member of the uh, Social Media Club Cleveland, and they came. They're coming out with a new book uh, about social media, and I'm going to have a chapter in there about uh, using social media for your job search. Um, I'm also a member of the uh, National Career Development Association, and uh, have the uh, have a. An article in the March issue of their uh, Career Conversions uh, e-magazine uh, about how uh, career development professionals should uh, work with their clients to uh, use uh, to create an online presence for their uh, for, in their job search. So, you know, it's it starts with one thing and just kind of blossoms from there.
0: So it seems like you have a, a good breadth to, to draw from, but also a wider range of uh, of topics. Uh, who inspires you to write? What what connects it all together for you?
2: I think maybe my desire to, you know, just make sure to, it's, it's something, especially on the TOG front, because it, we are, because we're a home-based company with myself and my wife Jessica, we really are trying to get our name out there. I think that's definitely an inspiration to keep writing, especially, you know, between the articles between the you know the, the blog on our site I mean, to be able to you know have some new and fresh you know, things to say to you know prospective customers or prospective readers to be able to say you know to have that drive to you know keep your name out there to keep you know to be able to to be able to you know have the the ability to you know have something worthwhile to say and that's probably the most important that's the biggest inspiration for me um, just because of my as a as a you know as a graduate of you know the idea of lifelong learning being able to say you know you're never done learning and my to be inspired by you know, passing information along that people will want to use—that's probably the biggest inspiration. Doesn't really trans. And and in terms of fiction, I mean, the, the inspiration is—you know—if there's something based that you know, something based on your life that you want to, you know, that that you feel that you can share with the rest of the world in a in a obviously fictionalized manner. You know, that's something that's definitely you know worthwhile as well.
0: So, where do you find new ideas to write about?
2: I usually find most of those in 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 the in previous experiences. Uh, a lot of the stories, uh, little small side stories in, you know, both uh, *Flagrant Foul* and, Fowl and uh, the stories that will be, uh, that I have written already for the the entire Forrester series, um, starting with uh, the first book *Dilemma*. Just previous experiences, you know. You know taking some funny little story you know or you know some funny little event that happened you know in college and you know being able to put that in a book um'll give you an example when i was a uh, when I was writing dilemma there was a story there was a there was a part in the book where where two of the main characters were you know launching pop bottles off of their uh, Plastic pop owls of course, um, off of the off of the desk, uh, off of their desks in the office. You know that's something that I was something I was doing when I was at Cleveland State back in 2000. And I thought it was kind of an amusing little aside to some of the things that uh, you know were going on in the book. And you know you draw a lot of inspiration out of you know previous experiences and obviously magnifying them tenfold when it comes to fiction.
0: So Tell me a little bit more about that pop bottle golf piece uh, uh, what did you' all do
2: well um now the, let me give you the dimensions of the 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 office of the Cleveland State Cauldron, which unfortunately has been well I want to say unfortunately if you ever been to Cle, if you would ever been to Cleveland State University, you know that the, the, our, the building that the cauldron was in was probably the worst engineered building on the face of the planet. <laughs> but the dimensions of the, build, the, the office, it was a, probably a 50-foot wide office, 12-foot uh, high ceilings. There were no offices or cubicles or anything in between. It was just open space. And one day, um, and I was editor-in-chief of the cauldron at the time, just out of just boredom, I decided that um, you know I always had a nine iron in the office inexplicably, and I'm also unfortunately a hapless addict of diet pop, so I know a whole bunch of you know plastic pop bottles around. So I decided to get up on one of the desks one day and start launching them off, the, uh, launching pop bottles off of the desk with my nine iron.
0: Yeah.
2: And pop bottle golf was born.
0: You've taken a, a non-traditional path to your publishing. You you publish through Lulu uh, for for this book, mm-hmm. and you have you know you have e-books, you have uh, books through Amazon on, a, on the Amazon Kindle. Um, tell us a little bit about that process. Mm-hmm. What is it? What has it been like for you? Uh,
2: well, I, it's mostly it's it's a lot. I'll tell you, it's a lot tougher than traditionally publishing. Um, the Kindle thing i've actually the amazon kindle thing the you know being able to use that forum and use that i use that is been i am trying i always try to stay ahead of the curve and you know being able to especially with my background in in you know technology and being able to you know figure you know being able to work in technology and being able to understand uh understand you know social networking and, you know, new, new ways people can gather their information. And one of the things, and this is this was brought to my attention last year when I was figuring out ways to market Flagrant Foul, was that somebody had brought up the idea of the Amazon Kindle. And I was rushing all over the place trying to figure out, hey, how can I get this book? How can I get my books up on up on Amazon on the Kindle, uh, so people who have happen to have this, you know, very nice but extremely expensive device, be able for them to use it. So you know, the Amazon actually has uh, a very nice tool, um, digital the, the digital text platform, where you can actually upload your, uh, you can actually up go ahead and upload your. Uh, upload your text and, uh... your book in um, some discernible format. I I was I used the uh I used the uh, MobiPocket converter off of their site and converted it into a format that was acceptable to uh to the uh to Amazon's DTP. I was able to put, you know, put in everything, you know, you can put the print ISBN in there, summary, your own uh images and everything. And uh, it was actually rather, uh, rather easy to do. Um, the hard part, of course, is getting people to notice that it's out there, despite the fact that you know the number of books in the Kindle platform on the Kindle platform at the moment are comparatively small, to considering in proportion to the number of printed books that are out there. And I actually mentioned this in my. Uh, uh, on my blog on on the flagrant file site, the question is, are the people who are buying the Kindle in my target demographic? Because for the most part because it, and it, it seems to me a lot of the people who are in the, who, who have gotten really embraced the Kindle the Kindle in the early going are the people who are always buying the new stuff right off the bat, the early adopters. My demographic of the book, uh, my my demographic for this particular, for you know the the flagrant foul and the stories from the Forrester series, is decidedly you know, you know that, that 16 to 22. I mean that's basically who the who the target audience is. Question is, is that target audience equal to you know the people who are writing, people who are buying the Kindle? Yeah. Question is, the answer is I don't know, right. and I'm
1: not
2: I, I'm not sure that they're there yet. I know that the i the the iPod and the iPhone have kind of you know gone into the stratosphere, and I'm hoping that the that the Kindle goes in that direction. Maybe uh, after a couple more revisions and whatnot. But you know, it's something. as As long as it, as long as my stuff is out there, it's it's good to have. Now, now for my self-publishing in print with Lulu, um, that has presented its own issues, its own challenges. Um, I debated for many months about, you know, getting an ISPN through uh the their published by Lulu program, which makes them the makes them instead of you the publisher. Understandable, but you know, it's it's a good way to get your get your, you know, stuff out there yeah. and not spend any money doing it. Problem being is and, and i just recently found this out, is that your the first place it goes out to is Amazon, so it's our it's out there on Amazon. It's not a problem. Problem is, it's as I found out, it's not in any of the other places. And I was this was pointed out to me by uh, somebody who was uh, somebody who is part of an indie bookstore. And I know they use the uh, I know that they they use their database um, indiebound, I believe it's called, and it's not on there. And it's also not on Barnes & Noble or Borders or Books a Million. So, basically, I've got to spend the next probably, if I'm so inclined, between this and writing the rest of the uh, rest of the volume one of my uh, stories from the Forrester series, trying to figure out how to get all the get my information on Flagrant Foul into these databases. So, there, there's a bit of a challenge with that. It, it, with the Flagrant Foul, I've learned a lot of different things about what not to do. But I've also learned a lot of things about what to do, uh, you know, and to try to successfully try to, you know, get the book out there.
0: Well, and you're you're on uh, uh, LinkedIn and Twitter and what what else what else do you do for our social media to to kind of get that word out there?
2: I made this effort probably around May or so, where I just I just decided, you know, what I'm going to be everywhere. <laughs> um, so I decided to put up, you know. Open up a Twitter account. Um, you know, be get a profile on Facebook, MySpace, LinkedIn. I always at LinkedIn. I had always had um, when I I had opened that up when I was a uh, the director of career services for a uh, technical the uh, uh, local campus of of the uh, Tech Skills Technical Schools. Um, where you know, being it, it's just like business networking. You got to be everywhere. So I was everywhere. I still am everywhere. Actually, yeah. So um, that's kind of the but just and always making sure the stuff is updated and it's something that not only is it good beneficial for marketing the book but it's also beneficial for I find it beneficial for being able to have that information Available to anybody, you know, prospective agents, publishers, or even prospective employers, and that's something that that's kind of the cornerstone, especially you know, trying to build my business at TOG Solutions, the cornerstone of what I'm trying to convey to prospective customers, especially in our resume writing realm, where not only should you be you know creating your resume, revising your resume, but creating a positive online presence for yourself. So if somebody, so if a prospective employer does happen to search for you on Google, which a lot more people are these days. They will see you know samples of your work, um, just a brief synopsis of your accomplishments, you know before they even you know, recommend recommendations from people you used to work with and, and things like that. So it's so it, it's actually inspired me to you know kind of go beyond the book, go beyond the book promotion and going into the personal promotion.
0: Yeah, sometimes that personal promotion, we've heard from quite a few other authors that have told us that, that personal promotion is probably the most important part. It doesn't just stop with the writing. You have to keep on, keep on talking about it so that other people get interested.
2: That, and they are absolutely right. Um, the one thing I would caution, though, is you know, at some point in time you've got to start writing again. Yeah. So there's, there's, there's got to be a certain point where you say there's got to be kind of a, a balance. There's, there's got to be a balance. I mean, you can you can only market so much, but you got to get back to writing at some point too. Yeah, I'm a big uh, I'm a big believer. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Yeah, I make an effort to spend X amount of time on, you know, promoting, marketing, and all that. But I also want to spend a lot of time on, uh, on you know, getting back to writing and moving forward. Um, for example, the you know, I've spent an awful lot of time promoting *Flagrant Foul*, but I also know that. I need to finish the last story for volume one of the volume one of stories from Forester, which is Dilemma, which is actually already written, and the appropriately titled Unwritten. And I need to get this stuff done. And I've already said i have actually already set a release date for volume one as well. So I'm—I did that so I could actually get it done, get it edited, get it—you know—start start some early promotion on it, and just. Again, learn from the mistakes I made with Slater and foul.
0: Yeah. So um, you talked about your audience, and you talked about uh, you know just just the other type of writing you do. Have you gotten feedback from 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 your writing in general, and how, how how does that help you as a writer? How does it bring you back to that to that task of writing? But how does it how does it inspire you to to keep going, or does it?
2: It's it would be helpful to get feedback, but I'm not really driven by it. Um, I'm mostly concerned, you know, if, if I think it's good, I'm going to write it. Once I get it done writing it, I go through it with a fine-tooth comb myself and say, all right, you know what, what works, what doesn't work. Um, one of the early stories about Flagrant Fowl is um, I'd actually created, when I had originally finished Flagrant Fowl, and this was in late 2006, I, the book was originally a standalone book. Uh, written in, you know, first-person perspective from the standpoint of Davis Brown. I had an entire extra, I had a a last chapter in there that pretty much wrapped up the entire story. And then I sat on it for about a year or so, and I looked at it again, and I'm thinking, "Mm." and by this point in time, I had already started Dilemma. And I decided, hey, okay. First, I'm going to start the first. I'm going to tie the two stories together. Second of all, I'm uh, just a massive undertaking. And I did this early 2008, just a massive undertaking where I decided, you know, okay, I'm going to change the I'm going to change the perspective from first to third, so it's consistent with uh, consistent with Dilemma and eventually all the rest of the stories. Um, get rid of the final chapter because my rationale was okay. This it, it it was just, it just tried to tie it up too cleanly that final chapter and it was it was to me it was a uh, to me it turned it sounded a little hokey so i had to get rid of it and um uh, just do some massive editing on the on it and then just you know put it back together and the end result is what you see now so it's a uh, you know it it's it, self criticism is seems to be to me, weigh a lot more than, you know, criticism from, from the outside. And that's probably good because, obviously, you're going to have, you know, some you're going to have somebody who doesn't like your book, and you just got to let that roll off your soul sometimes.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny that you say that because we, we have a poll on Story Institute that talks about, you know, I write for, and the number one piece, that the, the number one choice that's coming up is myself. Uh, the next one is the stories mm-hmm. and, and the readers, but but you really have to write for yourself sometimes a, as an author, because otherwise your your audience isn't going to get it. And sometimes you're the only one actually reading it at the moment. Yes. <laughs> so do you have any advice for uh, for people looking to 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 write and then to, to to publish their own their own book?
2: For people who are looking to write and self-publish, the big thing is find an editor. Find an editor. If you don't know how to proofread yourself or edit yourself, find somebody else who will look at it. <laughs> I mean, that's probably the most important thing I can tell you. And it's very important that. And then when you are when you're done when you're ready to sell when you're ready to launch, just be everywhere um, and ask. And, and you know there are plenty of di- there are plenty of different little. You know, different podcasts, internet radio, sta- radio stations, blogs, people who are looking for content. All you have to do is ask, <laughs> and you know, nine times out of ten, they're because the worst thing you're going to say is no. I mean, just to get your name out there, just you know, you know, ask. You can certainly do all of that.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good advice because if if it's not edited and people can't read it, it's not going to. It's not going to stick around long. It's just going to kind of go by the wayside, and people will either not buy it or, or move on to something else. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, you can find more of Bob's work at togsolutions.com, but more specifically, flagrantfall.com. Thank you very much. Thank you, for, uh, thank you for having me. We'd like to thank Bob again for his time and his thoughts. And now here's Terry with the short story and poetry topics of the week.
1: And here's this week's short story topic, Unique Product Placement and Assessment. Retail stores are full of stories. However, when the items are sold, are of a different nature, a peculiar form, an unexpected product, the stories become even more interesting. This store doesn't need storage, as the goods flex to the space needed. They adjust to the shelf space and the lack thereof. To purchase the product, each customer has to go through a psychological test to ensure the product matches the persona of the buyer. After the assessment, the product must be tested in the store to ensure the warranty can be upheld for the full 10-year period. Without this process, the product itself can be rescinded within those 10 years. What is this product? Why do you have to take an assessment? What is this testing process? Why is there a 10-year warranty? Are there people who have had the item returned for them? How does it, the product fit in any space? Decide on the story and write. Post it to our website at storyinstitute.com or share elsewhere. for write and enjoy. And this week's poetry topic, Big City Living. Ah, the big city. For those who live there, hopefully they see past the concrete, the cars, and the buildings. Hopefully they see past the subways, the limited shopping, and sanitation trucks. Hopefully they see the power of the people, the passion of the past, and the path to the future. Thankfully, there are many views to explore when we think of life. In as they see in the city focus on the little things that help the city become a community or share stories of the winds sweeping around the corner and pushing us back from our desired path focus on the growth the expansion the sprawling that was initiated by the residents or share the impact of a forgetful group who watched the beauty fade with the hues of the buildings post it to our website at storyinstitute.com or share elsewhere but write and enjoy
0: well, thank you for those topics, Terry, and be sure to join us next week when we bring you a new author, a new writing topic, and a uh, little bit of inspiration. If you have any feedback for us, please visit us at storyinstitute.com, uh, comment on this podcast in iTunes, or send us an email at ramblingverser at storyinstitute.com. Or lastly, uh, give us a buzz at 615-713-1783. In the meantime, remember to imagine, enhance, and grow your stories.